0: Never feel ashamed to ask someone where their guideline or where their visualization idea comes from.
1: and welcome to a new episode of Data Stories. My name is Enrico Bertini, and I am a professor at NYU in New York, where I do research in data visualization.
2: Yeah, and my name is Moritz Stefana and I'm an independent designer of data visualizations.
1: Yes, and on this podcast, we talk about data visualization, analysis, and generally, the role that data plays in our lives. And usually, we do that together with a guest we invite on the show, who we will bring on in a minute. But
2: before we start, just a quick note. As you might know, our podcast is listener-supported, <laughs> there are no ads. So if you do enjoy the show, please consider supporting us. You can do that on patreon.com slash datastories. Or you can also send us one-time donations on paypal.me slash datastories.
1: Yes, and, and this is great. Uh, from time to time, we receive new notifications of someone who sent some, some one-time donation, and it's, it's, it's a really good feeling. And um, so you have these two options now. (laughs) (laughs) So let's get started. Um, I'm very happy to have Uh, A friend today on the show, Uh, we have Steve Rose, and Steve uh, is an expert in uh, visualization and also in uh, vision science science and visual perception. And uh, if you are active on on Twitter, you may have seen him being very active sometime, and and people say, maybe we should ask Steve what he thinks about this thing (laughs) whenever we get close to some perception issue. So... And, and Steve has a PhD in uh, perception and attention. And uh, yeah, so I'm very happy to have you on the show. Hi, Steve. Welcome.
0: Hi. Excited to be here.
1: Yes. So can you briefly introduce yourself and tell us what is your background and especially your current position, what you generally work on? Sure. So, yeah, as you said,
0: my PhD is in uh, uh, perception and attention, specifically for data visualization, and I'm a research scientist at INRIA just outside Paris, and what I try to do is understand how our visual system, how our brain, perceives and aggregates and selectively prioritizes visual information. Now that visual information could be, you know, a natural scene, a picture of a forest or something, but it could also be something more uh, abstract or something uh, uh, artificial, like a data visualization. Um, And so what I ask is, you know, how does that visual information impact what actions we take, uh, how we make decisions, and what we remember and learn? Say, for example, that you have uh, two baskets of fruit and you want to compare and choose which basket has the most fruit in it or the ripest fruit or the biggest fruit, or you want to avoid the basket that has uh, a rotten fruit in it. That comparison, that aggregation, that selective grouping um, is all part of that vision science, that visual processing. and. Uh, likewise, imagine you have a data visualization where you have a whole bunch of countries visualized on a scatter plot with maybe population and GDP, and they're changing over time, and maybe they're colored by continent. You want to compare well, which is growing faster, Africa or Asia? Um, that would also use sort of the same systems, the same mechanisms in terms of how you you are going about. Uh, Making a choice of which one's bigger, which one's growing faster, um, and what your brain is doing.
1: Yes. I think what is interesting of of visual perception is that its I I would say it's one of the main souls of of visualization. There is a long tradition. I agree. (laughs) Right? Long tradition of, um, yeah, studying how our perception works so that if we understand the mechanisms, maybe we can use this knowledge to... um, yeah, to, to make smart decisions or better decisions about how to design effective visualization. So can you walk us through a little bit about how vision science can inform visualization and maybe how, uh, a little bit, what of what is the history behind perception and visualization? There are a few books out there, a few people who've been working in this area, and you are definitely one of the prominent People out there who is doing who is working in this space. So, what what can vision science do for visualization?
0: Sure. Well, first, I think let's sort of understand what vision vision science is. It's a really really broad field. Um, it's the study of how we see, how our vision works, and that um, encompasses everything from the of physical optics and biology of the eye, the neuroscience of the retina and the brain, as well as sort of higher level um, psychology and cognitive science in terms of perception and attention, memory, learning, and reasoning. And so uh, with visualization, we have this transfer from digital information to some sort of action, some sort of decision, some sort of learned information where the image is the medium. And so vision science is sort of the second half of that. There's the computer science side of generating the image itself. And then the vision science side of, okay, what happens after that image leaves the monitor. And I think one of the goals with the intersection of vision science and data visualization is Trying to be able to predict and uh, give some sort of informed suggestion of how well people are going to be able to perform some task or make use of information in a visualization uh, based on the visual features that are used, based on the layout that's used, without having to go through and run a particular pairwise experiment on every single exact instance of a mm-hmm. visualization with every single data set with every single um, scenario. So yeah. th- the goal is that it can be predictive and hopefully um, avoid some overlapping effort or some redundant effort with um, with testing.
1: Yeah I- I'm wondering if you can give us maybe an, a practical example of something that can be that we learned from from visual perception that helps us uh, yeah design better visual representations. Maybe sure. you have a favorite, I don't know. <laughs> uh,
0: um, it, it's it's hard to pick a favorite. I mean I think yeah. the the standard example of perception and and visualization goes back to Cleveland and McGill um, mm-hmm. which is in the mid 80s and the, and what was what they did was they said okay well let's say you have a, a bar graph or a dot plot or a pie chart and we're going to point to two uh, uh items to datums from this and, and say you know what is the which one is bigger or what is the ratio of, of, of size between these two and what's nice about that paper is that it references back some work from Stevens who was a psychologist back in the 60s um, or maybe even earlier than that uh, and uh, uh, they had some this old literature saying well, there should be differences in terms of discriminability. There should be differences as uh, in terms of perceived size. So as you increase something linearly, does your percept of that also increase linearly? The answer is not always, and it differs for different visual features. Length behaves a bit differently than, um, say, for example, angle or area. Um, and so the, the sort of connection of that to me is sort of the the birth there of um for one, I mean, in general, just visualization as a uh, distinct field, even though it wasn't when that when that paper was first published. I mean, the, a lot of the distinctness of visualization roots out from that particular study. But there's also some really great work by um, Simkin and Hasty that um, compared um, uh, bar graphs with stacked bar graphs with pie charts. And, um you know a lot of work has sort of followed through from these examples of sort of referencing how does the visual system perceive how does how does it that perception work? what are the limitations? What is the discriminability, and now what does that mean for making a graph? Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. And this is ultimately anchored on, uh, what is that, psychophysics, right? Psych- psychophysics in general, um,
0: but I, I would take it a little more broadly. That's why I say I'm a, I'm a vision scientist rather mm-hmm. than saying a cognitive scientist or a psychophysicist, is that there's also the really important component, uh, not just of the low-level perception, but also of the sort of higher-level uh, cognitive science aspect of and a, of a selective attention, uh, you know, picking one subset from the graph that you're looking at. Um, otherwise you have to pay attention to everything and you're sort of overloaded. Um, or, uh, uh, making a comparison which may be different from individual uh, percepts or even the, you know, sort of question of what happens when you have lots of stuff on the screen at once and you're not just comparing the uh, precision of discrimination of individual items, but you're comparing sets or groups of items at the same time. So it goes a l- beyond the sort of low level systems and more into the higher level aspects of, of cognitive science as well.
2: Yeah, that's something I wanted to mention as well, because often people concentrate just on, well, do people read lengths or positions more precisely or, you know, how bad are colors exactly for encoding magnitudes? But what's happening, of course, as you say, is like people see an overall image and, and sort of associate maybe with natural scenes or read chunks of information at once. And as a designer, I feel it's like you operate much more on that level, like on the aggregate or on oh, the totally. overall um Gestalt of something, but there it seems harder to make definitive statements about what works better <laughs> it's, it's or not. Is, is that true? I mean, is it?
0: Yeah, it's it's definitely uh, you know the more complicated the uh, or the, the more large range of of dimensions by which you can manipulate an image, the harder it can be to control an experiment, and the harder it can mm. be to answer a very clear, definitive, precise question. Um, one of the common things that happens with um, um, it goes by a wide variety of names, things like holistic perception or ensemble coding and summary statistics or global mm. perception, or even they sometimes will call it textures that goes back to like the 70s. Um, but, uh, or they think they called it like high level textures back in the day. Um, but, uh, the general question with, with some of these is, you know, is the aggregation, um, a, you know, common process a distinct process are we as good at aggregating as we are at perceiving a single item do we always aggregate or do we look at individual items one at a time um, maybe Mm. sequentially or serially and if we don't if we look at multiple items at the same time how many of those items are we grabbing at once Um, and then how do we segment those so how do we say i'm going to compare this group to that group Uh, how do we how well can our brain uh, actually, do that segmentation. Um, you know, especially if the edges and the boundaries are kind of noisy, um, what affects our ability to to segment well? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think I, I have a similar concern with with in general how to apply uh, whatever we learn in in, in visual perception to to actual visualization practice, right? So I remember myself uh, reading even multiple times, uh, Colin Ware's book, which is probably the most classic book on visual perception applied to visualization. Highly recommended by the way, to anyone who is interested in, in this area. And, Highly recommended uh, by Enrico. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Not by you. that's interesting. Does it mean you, you, you wouldn't recommend it? <laughs> I think it's,
0: it can be an interesting start. Okay. Um, yeah. the 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 intriguing thing about that book is it's very representative of our understanding of vision science from uh-huh. the um, 80s and maybe a little bit the early 90s. Hmm. Uh, but I, I believe the book was written in the 90s, and there's been yeah. some updates. But uh, a big aspect of uh, vision science now. Are things like global perception, uh, ensemble coding? Mm. Mm-hmm, um, okay. What are the what is the capacity of attention, or what is the resource limit of attention? Is kind of a, a heated debate in the field, right? How much stuff can you do at once? How many items on the screen can you pay attention to at once? Um, yes. You know, so that's 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 one of the things that's developed a lot in the past twenty years. Yeah. Um, that when the book was first written, um, that was, you know, still an early, um, an early idea an early concept. Um, the other part of it is with, uh, things that have developed more recently is looking at visual features or tasks, um, in a less dichotomous and a less sort of binary way. A task is not either, is not always going to be either easy or hard as they call it sometimes. Um, pre-attentive, or I guess, I don't know what what, what the alternative would be, like non-pre-attentive. Instead post-attentive. It's, it, it, <laughs> yeah, post-attentive. Yeah, post-attentive, I guess. Yeah. I, I don't know what, what, what the alternative is. But the we now think of it more as, you know, what is the degree of attentional demand, or what is the resource usage of attention, or how quickly are we able to shift attention between multiple items? So um, the, the field of vision science has gone from this more sort of dichotomous view of um, uh, tasks with visual features being either really easy or, or, or really hard. Mm. So mm. you know imagine if you're looking at a graph of uh, maybe a, you know a bar graph or something um, and uh, or maybe a, let's say a heat map. And you want to identify an item in the heat map that's an outlier, but you don't know you want to do that. You do, but you don't know before you're looking at the image, right? Um, uh, So, you know, in that case, you know, what are the things that allow you to find um, something highlighted, something that's going to pop out? Obviously, something like color, if you have a whole bunch of reds, red cells in a heat map and one of them is blue, sure, that's going to pop out right away. But, you know, when you have maybe some reds and greens and purples and there's this one blue cell there, are you necessarily going to see it? And the answer is it's this sort of gradation of difficulty as you vary the contrast, as you vary the amount of variance in the image itself, right? Basically, the, the noisiness or the number of groups in the data um, it gradually becomes harder and harder to, uh, to find an outlier. Mm-hmm. And that's something that if you go back to, um, some of the early eighties or you know mid seventies of vision science, that's something that they kind of didn't quite understand just yet. So that's mm-hmm. a relatively recent late eighties, early nineties development of the field.
2: Can I ask something about, um, Interpersonal differences and maybe even intercultural differences, because this is something I'm always wondering about. So, yeah. Yeah. There, there has been in, in psychology this this quite this paper that caused quite a stir that sort of posited <laughs> that all the experiments were basically done on one very small like <laughs> subset of, of humans, <laughs> which is like <laughs> male what white is that? The you weird, know young weird? Uh, psychology. That, the acronym basically, yeah. the weird, yeah, it's W E I R D. Yeah, I mean, basically,
0: psychology is the study. Of psychology undergraduates, yeah. right? Exactly. right? Uh, that's what we're doing. We're studying psychology undergraduates because they're the ones who are participating in the experiments. Exactly.
2: And like now, from your knowledge of like vision science and the field, and so, what do you think? Like, which part like does generalize across like wider populations or humans worldwide? And which parts do you say like, well, that would be worth like looking more into um, intercultural or interpersonal differences. Like, sure. or is, there, is there good new research that sort of mitigates these, these issues? It's an interesting question because it sort of varies
0: by um, sort of the subfield. So the, in general, the lower level that you go, basic things like luminance perception, color perception, mm-hmm. um, even even you, know, angle and curvature. Um, Those are going to be standard across pretty much any population. I I can't think of a reason those would vary too much. There are some questions about how language might affect our categorization and our discriminability of color. Mm. So Mm. maybe, for example, if a a, a culture um, has one word for blue and green, uh, there's some early data that seems to suggest that for them that makes a very bad categorical boundary. They have a very mm-hmm. tough time, um, differentiating blues and greens. And so that, that could be a case of sort of the language working its way down and, and affecting your ability to make a decision there or, or to, to find something, you know, to, to find a, a segmentation boundary or something that should pop out. Right. Um, whereas, As you go higher level, as you go into decision making and reasoning, or things that are substantially affected by education, by culture, by language, Mm. um, as that becomes more and more of an issue, then you have more and more 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 impact uh, from individual differences.
2: Yeah, yeah. And that makes the research much harder, of course, right? Because then it's much harder to design a neat experiment that where you can exclude all the the confounding factors?
0: Well, in some ways yes, in some ways no. Um, A key difference between different fields in psychology um, is what kind of experiment design you're going to use. Mm -hmm. So for example, if you do something called a within subject experiment design, as opposed to a between subject and experiment design with a within subject experiment design, what you're doing is you're having each person who's in the experiment participating in each of the conditions. So, you know, let's say you're comparing discriminability, uh, or precision of length versus precision in position. Uh, in that case, uh, if you have a person test both of those conditions, what you can do is extract one value of the difference. And so that way, if there's some weird property where, you know, maybe it's not even a elaborate individual cultural thing. Maybe this person's just not paying attention and being sloppy on the experiment, right? And they're <laughs> yeah, just, you know, yeah. sometimes I'm they real, look, sometimes, <laughs> you know, they've fallen asleep and they're just, you know exactly. uh, you know, choosing, yeah. you know, the first option. Um, in that case, when you subtract the differences, whatever's going to happen in one condition is likely to happen in the other condition, and so you sort of subtract away the problem. Mm-hmm. You cancel out the problem. Um, and so that's one way that you can mitigate that issue is with this within-subject design, having them hit both scenarios. The other side is that um, it you, you've often kind of got to look at um, what it is that you're asking. Sometimes you are asking a question of what happens in Western cultures when they're looking at graphs. Um, and in that case, it might be okay. And it's just worth sort of adding the caveat, you know, here's the population we had, you know, be transparent, be open about it. We tested university students at a, at a, at a you know, Western European or an American university. And uh, that's what we have. But, you know, who knows, maybe uh, someplace where their writing is works in a different direction, or where um, their counting system is different, um, some of those results might not apply.
1: Yeah, and what I was trying to ask you... Uh, before we went to a little bit of a tangent, is... Um, <laughs> I was just <laughs> curious. Yeah, <laughs> That's fine. Tangents are good. No, we started with the book, right? So l- let's go back to what I was trying to say. <laughs> um, I was trying to say, so w- one one problem that I personally have with vision science applied to visualization is that uh, all these super fascinating concepts... Uh, about how visual perception works, right? But at the end of the day, what I would like to get out of it is like, um, it should help me make decisions, I would say predictive decisions, uh, about what is going to work best in a visualization design, right? And I often see that there is a, a big gap between all this knowledge that is out there, even when it's framed in the realm of data visualization, and actually applying it to 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 real projects, right? And I think me and you had a bit of a debate already in the past about <laughs> that. You seem to be, uh, please correct me if I'm wrong, but you seem to say, that's not actually what we should do or the way we should do it. We should just research how things work, right? And then how this is going to be applied, it's it's a different problem. And I tend to have a, a little bit of a different view, uh, but uh, yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't, say, <laughs> what do you
0: think? I wouldn't say we should just research how things work mm-hmm. but I do think how things work is an important. Uh, situation. The way I see it is that applied visualization or a practitioner's, um, uh, visualization case, um, is sort of like medicine, uh, the field of medicine where, you know, you're trying to, um, solve some, uh, uh, business analytics problem or some journalistic, you know, communications problem. You're trying to sort of solve some sort of problem. Whereas vision science is, is, in this analogy would be something like biology or chemistry where you're just trying to say, okay, well, how does this protein interact on this membrane? Mm. And so they're necessarily often going to be these very uh, granular, small granular problems uh, in vision science, whereas you're going to have these big complicated problems in data visualization. Now, there's going to be some, uh, you know, varying levels of complexity in between, uh, but what I've seen a lot in... Uh, in, in data visualization is people will have these very complicated, very confounded um, comparisons that they're making in their experiments. And so they'll say, well, we took this um, one visualization technique and we changed you know, 37 different things about it, and now we have the second visualization technique, and we compare them, and then we conclude, yeah. therefore, all visualizations should, be, uh, should have the second property that we changed this way. Um, mm-hmm. and, and they don't, uh, go through and, and reduce the complexity and make sure that the thing that they think they're manipulating is in fact, what's causing, uh, the, the difference there. Um, but you could also, you know, look at it, you know, in terms of, uh, in terms of these sort of confounded experiments. So imagine you have, uh, a, a red sphere and a blue box and you want to know, you know, which of these is going to... Uh, move the most dirt out of the way when it's dropped, and so you drop one, uh, maybe the the red sphere, and it uh, moves a whole lot of dust and sand gets pushed up, and moved out of the way, and then you drop the box, and it drops a small amount, and therefore you conclude without any hesitation that uh, there's a special type of gravity called red gravity, and red gravity uh, moves dirt out the most effectively, <laughs> um, and 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 then if if um, you ask, well, you know, are we sure that we should be rushing to generalize? And that rush to generalize, I mean, it's tempting. I completely understand it. I think every researcher does it perhaps more than they should, Hmm. but, uh, and that's in any field, that's not visualization specific. It's even in vision science, it's even in biology and chemistry, but, uh, you know, we should be asking ourselves, well, are we sure that it's Always going to apply in these other scenarios, and we should give a reason why it shouldn't just be well it happened this time, therefore, uh, you know, by the law of induction, I declare that it will always happen in uh, anything <laughs> remotely related or anything similar to this, and and mm-hmm. that's you know it's oftentimes not true.
2: Yeah, but I I mean for I think the problem is this overgeneralization. I mean, if you just want to find out if you should in a given case take the the blue square or the red circle or what it was. Without like rushing to this conclusion that you should always take it, then the comparison might be fine, right? So I think like some or all the interesting, like to me, data visualization problems are super like or maybe fundamentally irreducible in a sense that Mm. finding out what the best chart is to communicate poverty statistics, you know, or something like this is like basically a question that's in my mind, not cannot be reduced to a quantifiable measurement in the end, because it's about humans, it's about communication, it's about context, it's about culture. And so I think some, some basic research can help then and maybe getting better hunches of you know what good directions might be. But two or three given solutions, I think it will always be super hard to quantify differences there. Oh, absolutely. Like what's, what's your take on that? Like for these more you know, complex I, I completely settings. Agree. Like I mean,
0: one of the tough things is, uh, going from the general research to a very, very specific scenario where every mm. facet of that scenario has not been studied yet, which is virtually always. Right. So, um, it, yeah, I mean the research gives a prediction in, um, some general abstract sense, or at least that's what good research I think should do. Um, when it comes to a specific scenario, uh, like you said, what graph best conveys information about poverty statistics? Or, 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 let's maybe even reframe that: what, what graph causes people to change their behavior, to change mm-hmm. their actions? Even some more way.
2: complicated, exactly. Right? Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. So it's yeah. it's uh, there's a lot of components, and so while some people may differentiate uh, uh, applied research versus basic or core research, I think of it as more complicated, multifaceted problems versus simpler problems. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes the, the simpler problems will, once you add a whole bunch of complexity to it, there's other sources that impact, um, what, what it is that you're trying to get. And the original one may not, it may have had an effect, but it was such a small effect that was drowned out by a thousand other things. Mm. Um, so it, it may not not apply, but it, it becomes substantially less relevant.
1: But I'm wondering if it's fair to say maybe we can look at this from a different angle, right? So uh, I guess Moritz, when when you are designing a solution for a given problem, I guess uh, maybe implicitly or explicitly uh, you apply some of the knowledge that you have about how visual perception works, right? Oh and, sure, yeah, hopefully, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, hopefully, right? <laughs> one one would hope so, <laughs> <laughs> right? I guess, yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah. maybe one way to say to see that is that we can't know. In advance, how this knowledge is going to be helpful in the future. But once we know these things, since we have a general culture of how perception works, uh, the more of it we have, the more in the future we can. There are chances that when you are designing something, you'll you'll use it in some way, right? Mm. Um, Do you think that's fair? Right. Yeah,
0: I completely agree.
1: So maybe the link is not always necessarily direct, but by the fact that you have this knowledge, then ultimately you will end up using it, right? Yeah. But can I make a counterpoint here? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What? <Well, laughs> that's very good. <laughs> that's fun. Go ahead. Start. Yeah.
2: Because, so I think a lot of research in the past has focused on the precision of individual, like visual variables, like in decoding quantifiers quantity yes. information right so yeah. that's the easiest accessible thing it's easy to measure it's it's a bit like the the drunken uh, person searching for the keys yeah, under the lamppost because yeah. there's light and so if yeah. they are there they would be easier to find but yeah. you know, yeah. it's like yeah, yeah, the yeah. classic uh, sort of dilemma there yeah. but um I think, uh, like, for instance, a big power of, like, good visual displays is that you can do visual calculations, sort of sum up neighboring areas or sum up areas, you know, that have similar properties and do all these chunking and, and, like, holistic recognition tasks, right? As Steve mentioned before. And I think they that, they are a bit harder. They, they don't have su- such crisp rules to them yet, maybe, or so crisp findings that now we have a whole culture of people just claiming a bar chart is the best visualization for any, you know, oh, quantitative yeah, no, I, visualization yeah, yeah, problem.
1: Yeah, I totally agree.
2: And yeah, yeah. so I think there's some sort of a bias there towards easy rules. If if you um, if you just follow that route,
0: yeah. I mean, I agree. I agree with <laughs> completely. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, the the, the challenge the challenge there is um, that to a certain extent, the research needs to start with uh, whether you call it the low hanging fruit or whether mm-hmm. you just call it the first step. Um, it's very difficult to study the aggregate of a thousand items. If you have no idea how, you know, what is our discriminability of one item versus right. another? Yeah. Um, and so it, it, the, the, the challenge there is, and, and this is a, uh, uh, you know, one of the goals of any sort of good experiment design is sort of isolating your variables, where you want to make sure it is in fact the aggregate that makes the difference, and it's not the individual items. So, if you compare, you know, something really unclear, uh, some really unclear visual feature like um, depth or something like that, and you mm. uh, compare that with Length and you say ah a um, thousand items in in depth is on an average is going to be harder to discriminate compared mm-hmm. with you know a thousand uh, positions in two d right. and you know you could say well well yeah but that has nothing to do with the aggregation process um, that that's more than likely just the fact that the individual items are are less precise um, on the other hand there are cases where the aggregation precision or the selection precision or the grouping precision has nothing to do with the individual item precision. Um, are mm-hmm, kind of can mm-hmm. be sort of independent, yeah. uh, you know, just for, just for example, picking out which, um, uh, pair of visual features is going to group strongest. Uh, I, I'm not sure, but, but that, that might be, you know, distinct from which visual feature is most precise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so it's, it's, uh, it comes down to a question of you kind of have to attack all angles but it's it's usually easiest to start with the simplest problem.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> are there like from your experience like with vision and research and so on are there any like things that people keep doing where you say like as a vision researcher I don't know why people keep doing that or this <laughs> type of charter? I, you know, I don't or, know about doing, or also like but... specific I don't know encodings or techniques any 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 specific. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I things? don't know about
0: things that people are doing, but I will say it's more things that people are saying. And, and ah. it's the the certainty with which uh, with which they say them. Um, uh, a lot of um, the, I guess you could call it pop-sci visualization knowledge, yeah. um, is unclear where it came from. A lot of these sort of standard guidelines, yeah. I, I've, I've, I've tried to dig into sort of the origins of some of these things, and mm-hmm. and, and it's extraordinarily difficult to find. Um, and what's even more fun is when um, you'll find one group of people, you know, openly declaring that that something is is true. That you know, the second you meet them, and if yeah. and if uh, um, you know you've, you're in a malicious mood and you want to kind of mess with people, just play naive. <laughs> yeah. You know, when when you speak to people about visualization, oftentimes the f- one of the first thing that's going to be out of the mouth is going to be chart chunk bad, pie yeah. chart bad, and and I'll just go, oh, oh really? Oh, I didn't know that. Why is that? And, and, um, and just, just share, just And there goes silence. your evening,
2: right? And, <laughs> <It's> and,
0: <like laughs> and, uh, oh, uh, you know, usually for the most part, people have no idea. Mm-hmm. They heard it somewhere, they read it in a book somewhere. Um, and it's not necessarily that it's true or be- true or false. Um, but you know, if you believe something so passionately, if you're going to call something out on a routine basis, if you're going to, you know, claim something in a book, yeah. uh, you know, it's worth knowing where that information ca- came mm. from. And oftentimes it's just someone's opinion just someone you know put down some idea it became dogma and uh, there was a catchy
2: phrase to it you know there's like a good good way of referring to it and there you go junk it's junk of course it must be bad how could it be good it's it's junky (laughs) (laughs) so um it's the same with cooking by the way so some you know there's a lot of these traditional techniques and like rules of thumb in cooking and for instance people tell you you need to fry your meat really like you know in a like in a hot pan so the pores close (laughs) you know it's like something you learn when you learn cooking but then if you look at the science it doesn't really make sense right yeah Uh, yeah, and it's it's not really a thing like um uh, this poor closing thing that it's would play any role in like preserving the moisture of the meat but other things do have a basis like like old traditions they do make sense right so but sure, uh, it's I mean, totally it's, worth like looking into. <laughs> if we can yeah, verify it's, it's, if, the, if the dogma
0: may yeah. not necessarily be wrong, but right. the I think one of the big challenges for visualization because it's got this big interplay with the visualization practitioners and the visualization research. In some ways, that's a very good thing of, of finding ways to apply the research. The um, uh, potentially negative outcome of that is that some of the Uh, dogma of the, uh, you know, popular science of the, of the uh, practitioners feeds its way back into the research community and that limits what questions people ask Mm, or mm -hmm. people assume that it's already a solved thing and they try to build off of Mm -hmm. it and things don't work all too well. So. Robert Kassara recently um, had a paper. I think it was Robert Kassara and Drew Scow, where they were looking at like 3D pie charts, and <laughs> and best I can tell, that was it was just like a year or two ago. But best I can tell, that was the first time anyone's ever looked at it. Yeah. Um. And, and people have been proclaiming it loudly from the, you know, uh, you know from atop the mountain for however many years, um or decades even. Um. And and no one had any clue if that was true and the reasoning behind why they said it was true. Mm-hmm. was totally nonsense. This idea that um, uh, in, a, in a pie chart that's 3D, the front wedge uh, is going to be, you know, to take up a, is larger in the image, yeah. and therefore you'll misperceive it as larger uh-huh. compared with the stuff in the back that's going to look smaller. And, and that would be true if our visual system had never encountered depth before, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, when, when someone walks away from you down the hall... Yeah. You don't screech in horror as you watch your friend <laughs> shrink before your very eyes. No, your, your, your visual system is, is very good at compensating for, uh, changes in depth and how that impacts changes in size. That's you know mm. linear perspective. Um, uh, now it doesn't necessarily do so perfectly. There are lots of, you know, questions about, you know, can there be introduced some subtle biases, but the notion that it's smaller on the image, therefore, uh,
2: it's, it's perceived as smaller. There's not really much basis there. Mm yeah yeah and i think that's that's a really good development because as you say for many years people have been repeating the rules and just maybe again overgeneralized, like by like what maybe was angles can be read a bit less good than lengths you know became to never use pie charts right and then uh the last few years um yeah maybe there's a bit of a a rollback there in terms of, okay, what do we actually know, and can we, can we verify all these, these rules of thumb we have built up? Um, I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting sort of idea of what, you know, what
0: happens now if you write a visualization guideline, a, a book of visualization guidelines, but only based on um, empirical research. What if you mm-hmm. ba- base, build a visualization guideline, it's not a, a, b- a book of guidelines, not on aesthetics, not on preferences, not on culture, just purely based on, you know, what's going to, uh, what's more likely to change behavior, what's more likely to in- impact someone's decision, what's going to cause a bias, and, and, you know, what do we know from the empirical literature? And it's, in that sense, perhaps it's a good thing for the researchers, but bad for the practitioners. We're actually still pretty early in the field. I think visualization mm-hmm. is a fairly young field. So there's sort of a lot of open questions there. Um, and what's important is that we don't jump to the assumption that a lot of them are already solved when in fact, a lot of them are already assumed to be solved.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I agree There there's so much more to do and I really hope, uh, I think there is a lot of activity right now in this area and, um, I'm really looking forward to seeing, uh, uh, more of that. Right. And you are certainly one of the main players there. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what, what is going to come out of your, your work. So, um, <laughs> I hope good things. <laughs> sure. No pressure. Uh, no pressure. <laughs> yeah, <right>? yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> but that, that happens sometimes on Twitter where people will, will get to a question and, and I'll, and I'll have to say, well, you know, look, we just don't know the answer to that yet. And, yeah. and they go, oh, okay. Uh, why don't you go ahead and research that now? I'm like, oh, oh, sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, you of got course. it. Yeah. How about how
0: about you take care of
2: writing my maybe next for week me you and, can and, you know, send some we'll results.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm wondering, uh, wrapping up, if you can maybe give a few suggestions to our listeners. Say, somebody who wants to learn more about how to apply vision science to visualization. What what are the best sources to learn more about that? and eventually how to apply them in, in practice? Um, well, for learning more about that, um, it's, it's
0: a bit tough. The The Colin Ware book you mentioned, I think right now, is still one of the better options of, of learning perception in the context of visualization. But what I would urge people is just study the perception on its own and 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 consider you know coming to some of your own conclusions. There's some really good uh sensation and perception textbooks out there. One I can think of off the top of my head, uh it's called Sensation and Perception. And I think Jeremy Wolf is the first author um of the textbook. And and just study the the perception itself um, if you if you want to kind of dive in there. Mm. Um, but as far as um, you know, uh what people can sort of take away, like I said, never feel ashamed to ask someone where their guideline or where their visualization idea comes from. Maybe you want to <laughs> yeah. uh, do a visualization a certain way. You think it looks cool. You think it, you know, fits you know a brand best. You think it's most uh, engaging or stunning. And someone tells you, "Oh no, no, no! This has chart junk in it, or this has you know this is uses this <laughs> technique, which we all know is is the bad technique, quote unquote TM, the bad yeah. technique, right?" <laughs> um, uh, so you know if you did, if someone tells you that, you know, just ask, "Oh, um, why is that? Mm. You know, why is this good and this bad? Why is um, one uh, one thing going to be better than another? And is it that necessarily going to be true for the?" um, impact that I want to have. Um, if, if the impact I want to have is allow people to precisely read individual items, then, okay, maybe, uh, you know, some of the, um, as you said, Marie, it's the, the, uh, the, the visualization research literature that's looking at sort of individual item discriminability in that case, maybe it would apply. but then, you know, Hey, why not use a table? Um, whereas if you're (laughs) asking, you know, a more aggregated task, uh, are the countries in Asia, which are plotted individually, on average, doing better than the countries in, you know, some other country, in some other continent, you know, Africa? Um, in, in that case, you know, there's some new research. There's research I had with, uh, did with uh, Lei Yuan and Steve Frankenary that kind of looked at some of these more complicated scenarios where we are aggregating data and then making the comparison and asking what visual features are we using? What proxies are we using? Are we necessarily actually taking the average or are we doing something else? Mm. Um, So as you get to these more sort of complicated questions, you know, the field is gradually pushing into that. And so Mm. we might be able to answer that, uh, those questions better and better as the future comes. But always feel free to ask how do you know?
1: Yeah, that's great. Well, thanks so that's much, Steve. Yeah. That's uh, that's great advice, and uh, thanks so much for coming on the show. I I hope this is instilling at least some curiosity in our listeners to dive a little deeper in visual perception is certainly fascinating. It's super and fascinating, topic. super fascinating yeah, yeah. topic. You can, Endless. <laughs> yeah, it's a wormhole. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Best of luck with your work. Looking forward to seeing more coming from your site and uh, thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. Bye Steve. Bye. 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 Hey, folks, thanks for listening to Data Stories again. Before you leave, a few last notes. This show is now completely crowdfunded, so you can support us by going on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash datastories. And if you can spend a couple of minutes reading us on iTunes, that would be extremely helpful for the show. And here's also some information on the
2: many ways you can get news directly from us. We're, of course, on Twitter at twitter.com slash datastories. We have a Facebook page at facebook.com slash podcast, all in one word. And we also have a Slack channel, Uh, where you can chat with us directly. And to sign up, you can go to our homepage, datastory.es,
1: and there is a button at the bottom of the page. And we also have an email newsletter. So if you want to get news directly into your inbox and be notified whenever we publish an episode, you can go to our homepage, datastory.es, and look for the link you find at the bottom in the footer. So
2: one last thing we want to tell you is that we love to get in touch with our listeners, especially if you want to suggest a way to improve the show or amazing people you want us to invite or even projects you want us to talk about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And don't hesitate to get in touch with us. It's always a great thing for to hear from you. So see you next time. And thanks for listening to Data Stories.